This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramia. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on air community, and everyone's invited. You comfortable? You all settled in, ladies and gentlemen? Well, we hope so for the next couple of hours. Myself and Ramya plan to bring you a lot of great content, some fabulous conversation, a chance to get in on the contest that we're running, especially being a brand new show. I'm Kelly McDonald sitting in front of uh, Purple and White Pillars uh, behind me and the uh, skyline of Toronto with our good friend the CN Tower off over my left shoulder, all that. And Ramya, she is at the uh, head office in Toronto while I'm at the home studio in London, Ontario. Good day. Good day, Kells. Yes, I'm also sitting in front of our very good friend, the CN Tower, because, you know, I'm closer to it, so i got to say that, in Toronto, <laughs> uh, behind a white oblong desk, that uh, surfboard shaped in front of me, and that's white, and behind me also the purple and white with the pillars. Uh, now, for you, it's part of the background. For here, um, there are physical pillars, which is kind of fun to They are with. really legit, right? Yeah. And the right, you you well. can actually turn if you wanted, reach back, and at least make contact with one of them. They're awesome pillars. Yeah. Uh, and also, yeah, you don't have to speak as loud as I do to make sure our good friend the CN Tower <laughs> hears us. But if you would, I'd like to call some attention. You wanted to revisit uh, 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 yes. some information you gave out yesterday on the show. That's right. I know there's no real takesies backsies in these uh, this media <laughs> culture, but I will make some corrections because yesterday we were talking at the end of the show about the Zoomers Braille Group, and this is kind of an awesome uh, monthly get-together that's being put on, not by AEBC, but by Braille Literacy Canada. Okay, so just wanted to clarify that. It is put on by Braille Literacy Canada. It's being promoted all over the place through the Toronto Visionaries, through CCB, through AEBC. So that's the first thing. And the second thing I wanted to say is because I love the word equity so much, I kind of threw it into a title here. It <laughs> AEBC stands for the Alliance for <laughs> Equality of Blind Canadians, not equity. And honestly, as I said it, I was like, I don't know. It doesn't sound right. It but doesn't sound yeah, right. Yeah. Yes. So there. The two take-backs that I've uh, done for the start of the show. Okay. Well, we've heard from uh, Natalie Martinello and Kim Kilpatrick about this month-long celebration of Braille. We know Louis Braille's birthday back on January 4th. So uh, those using Braille, and we've had good conversation here on the program about it too, um, you're probably going to be quite excited about this. So uh, be a part of it. Have a lot of fun. Let's uh, take a look at what's coming up on our program today for you. Margaret Weldon explains what complaining is. Never do it, so I'll need that explanation for sure. And she's going to tell us how come it can be bad for us. Yeah, or maybe how come it can be good for us. Tracy Burden is joining us. She's the founder of Canadians Care, and she's talking about the work that she's put into, along with others who are helping her out for medical supplies for people in Ukraine. Also, ladies and gentlemen, there have been some new changes to Ontario health care delivery, specifically with regards to virtual care and accessibility. Registered nurse Leslie Depoe joins us in hour two, and she'll get into it and explain it all for us. Okay, what do we have here for you folks? Well, something that, uh, of course, for me, it's been a battle all my life. If you're trying to lose some weight, you may not need to skip meals with intermittent, uh, intermittent fasting at all. 
Researchers say reducing caloric intake may be more effective for weight loss versus intermittent fasting. They looked at 547 adults over a six-year period and then had them log their sleep habits and meals on an app for six months. Meals less than 500 calories logged as small, medium, 500 to 1,000 calories, and large meals greater than 1,000. They found the window of time between the first meal and the last meal was not associated with long-term weight loss. Consuming smaller meals under 500 calories was a associated with weight loss with medium and large meals linked to weight gain. Lionel Moyes, ABC News. So I tend to do the eat and then try to make sure there's a bit of time before mm. I eat again. So don't eat too close to bed. So I guess that's kind of not necessarily the time lag in between, but definitely the smaller meals four times a day. I, I've, I've really implemented that over the last year and a half um, and hoping that that helps out, Rum. You know, whatever we can do, and it's nice to see this kind of research. Yeah, I think it's important to make sure you're paying attention to the fine print, the details of the studies, you know, how many people were involved in the research, um, how long the study lasted, what they were specifically looking for. Now, you know, this one, obviously, it's in the title, they were talking about weight loss, but sometimes um, are you more concerned about the blood sugar levels, for example, right? So yeah. intermittent fasting, waiting longer periods of time between meals can talk to your insulin levels and the, the rise and fall of that. So there are many things to kind of tap into, make sure that you're paying attention to. And then, of course, just that studies change. They evolve. Mm. We change. We evolve. Even diet culture in general, uh, we're not necessarily promoting all the time because it's exhausting. It can be unhealthy. And for the same reasons, we're not looking at the full picture. Yeah. Get to know your body, folks. Well... Police in Washington have arrested a man who's been accused of trying to kidnap a barista from a, a suburban Seattle coffee shop. Surveillance video shows a man in a pickup truck placing his order and pulling up to the window of a coffee shop in Auburn, east of Tacoma. When the barista hands him his change... He had the zip tie, he grabbed the arm. Colby Crossley of the Auburn Police Department says the woman fought off the attack and the man drove away. The video also provided a crucial clue on the arm of the man in the truck. That distinctive tattoo is huge. Clear as day, very helpful in identifying who this is. Within hours of releasing the video, the police had the tip they needed to make an arrest. Jim Ryan, ABC News. Wow, it's amazing how many things we do now, how many things that we shouldn't be doing and can get caught for by, I won't say the littlest thing, Rum, because it sounds like a gigantic tattoo, but uh, good on the police. Really strange on the guy trying to kidnap really? the barista. Wow. What a tattoo. We've got a lot of... Well, really, zip tie and everything ready to go, and he just forgot my arm, the big identifier. We'll step aside for a couple of moments, folks. Reporter Grant Hardy will join us from Vancouver with the latest health headlines. It's Kelly and Romya. Thanks for being with us. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Romya will be right back. This Thursday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time on AMI-audio. This week, Joita speaks to Sue Phillips, Vice President of the End of Life Della Association of Canada, about why people should prepare for the dying process. That's on The Pulse this Thursday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 10.30 a.m. Pacific on AMI-audio. Also, you can find it available via your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube. 
Welcome back to the program. Rummy is in our uh, studio, the main studio at AMI in Toronto. Kelly McDonald here in uh, London, Ontario at the home studio hanging out here. And in his home location, we welcome in now to talk health headlines, Grant Hardy. Good day, Mr. Grant. How are you? Welcome back to the show. Hello, hello. Can you hear me? Mm -hmm. I can hear you absolutely fantastic, streaming right on through. How's today? Oh, beautiful. I was just saying that uh, I was waiting for you to say home studio because I feel like we're underselling uh, me sitting in front of my laptop here <laughs> with a $20 USB headset and uh, uh, just rocking it in my tiny little apartment here in Vancouver. But I am so happy to chat with you guys. Our apologies. Now, now, I don't know about Ramya, but I can only speak for myself after taking broadcast radio. You make everything sound big, but that's great. You don't want to undersell, but you also got to change it up. So sometimes throw in home studio, sometimes studio, sometimes location, all those different words that just make you sound like, oh, yeah, that, that's a nice way to present it instead of $20 little um, equipment here. I like that. I'm on location. I like that. <laughs> Out in Vancouver, it's nice to say that because so many people, oh, Vancouver, oh, well, they had snow, though, so maybe it's not so great. Oh, um, <laughs> sir, where are we starting today? We are back to our dreary rain, and we've got a kind of a dreary headline ahead of us. Sorry about that, a little sobering, uh, about our updated guidelines on alcohol use. Uh, so I got this from Global News, and uh, it turns out Canadians should consider limiting their alcohol consumption to two drinks or less per week, according to the new guidance. The recommendations were released uh, Tuesday by the Canadian Centre on Substance Use and Addiction, CCSA, uh, who says that drinking more than two standard drinks, an equivalent of 13.45 grams of pure alcohol at a time, is associated with increased risks. The CCSA report is an update to Canada's low-risk alcohol drinking guidelines that were published in 2011. The update comes after two years of research, a review of nearly 6,000 peer-reviewed studies and about 1,000 uh, survey submissions from the public. Uh, and so the definition of a standard drink in Canada is equivalent to a bottle of beer, a glass of wine, a shot glass of spirits, or a bottle of cider. And the harm to yourself and others is moderate, meaning a 1 in 100 risk of premature death if you have 3 to 6 drinks weekly, CC. SA said. As you increase the alcohol intake, however, the risks grow higher, more steeply for women than for men uh, when they go over six drinks per week. All, although it did uh, mention that uh, men tend to be a little more reckless with alcohol than women, which kind of uh, can uh, counteract that. And this uh, affects various organs, putting you at risk for cirrhosis, pancreatitis, gastrointestinal inflammation, heart disease, multiple cancers, as well as injury from balls, violence, and motor vehicle cra uh, crashes, according to the research. And interestingly, one point that I found interesting is that the younger generations, Gen Z, uh, they are actually cutting back on their alcohol on their mm. own. It's mm. not as much of a uh, part of their social life as, as maybe it was for past generations. Uh, well, 
you know, I don't know if that brings our January in in a really upbeat uh, fashion, but uh, it's good that they're putting these out there. And I think that we're going to end up having, you know, warning and health labels slapped on alcohol, kind of like on cigarettes. Right. Actually, that wouldn't surprise me um, because, you know, it's kind of related. But Mary Mammoliti, when she was last on with us, talked about food trends for 2023. And one thing was that mocktails are trending more than you know, ever before. Oh, that's right. Right? So it kind of, it makes sense that people are more interested in uh, kind of veering away from the alcohol content mm. and still wanting to reap the benefits of like a mixed drink or something that looks cute, served nicely, that kind of thing. I think that when I think specifically at the study that you're you're pointing at or the, the health, um, mm -hmm. it makes me curious, you know, is everyone tapping out at like let's say two drinks a week is everyone tapping out three to six <laughs> weeks because you know every week could look different right which makes sure. me wonder so how does that play the inconsistency of how many drinks over a week yeah i i, I think it's more the of, regularity isn't it sure when we think about it, it's got to really be about that just like the mocktails is is that a thing or what is somebody else substituting those drinks for if anything is there a lot of time we get ideas that wow yeah that alcohol stuff is bad so i'll just uh, you know i'll stay away from that while they keep smoking their cigarettes or something you, you know what i mean we, we or, or eat more desserts right it's like it, there's always yeah yeah and there's always and again i think we do have to recognize patting ourselves on the backs for the good things we do. We're always going to have things we could say, well, I could eat less of that or drink you know, more of that, more water, whatever it might be. But when you see a study like this, I, I think it's that consistency that they want to make us aware of. And I remember you know, um, a few years back, uh, some medical people saying to me, you know, are you a casual drinker? And I said, mm. what do you mean? How, how many is that? Depends. Oh, yeah. 14 drinks a week. <laughs> I said, what? That's a... Oh, and I didn't you know, want to sound like a jerk, right? And they said, that's okay. That was then. So this is very interesting with the study grant and the update. No, it is. And, you know, what I find super interesting, I was going to mention this, and it's kind of almost a, a counterpoint or an additional point to what you're saying, is I find it, you know, really interesting that, look, we all know that smoking is a terrible habit, and people who smoke probably are aware of that and maybe are trying to quit or you know, for whatever reason, it just hasn't happened yet. But I do find it very interesting how judgy people are right to your face, you know, about your smoking. And I can't believe you do this. It's such a filthy habit, you know. But mm. meanwhile, the person who's saying this, uh, you know, is tossing back, you know, three or four drinks sure. or, you know, what have you, and is, is maybe not eating that that healthy uh uh, either so it's it's all kind of i guess a bit of a social construct depending on what yeah of course our it is. And, 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 like, and we but... tend to and we tend to i don't want to say we sorry sometimes people tend to oh well and i think sometimes they do it for their own benefit yeah well i'm not that smoker mm -hmm. as they're tossing that drink you're mentioning back grant and i think a lot of time we're convincing ourselves we're healthier. We are in less jeopardy, uh, according to some of the things that you say, you know, you read to us. We are in less jeopardy of injuring ourselves or making our health problems even further complicated. And then when it gets too big, 
too many health problems. Well, what, what's quitting my drinking habit going to do? Or, well, right. what's stopping smoking this far along going to do for me anyway? Also, um, you mentioned this, Grant, as well, that, you know, Gen Z and, and other younger generations are quitting on their own terms or cutting mm -hmm. back, I should say. And I'm curious about that aspect, too, because who you socialize with makes a big difference on what you're doing yeah. when you're socializing, right? Oh so if you're hanging gosh. out yes. every weekend, you're hanging out with people and the norm is to have a, a couple of drinks, then that's the norm and all of you guys are doing it. And, you know, we can look at yeah. the numbers on that versus people who go out for shisha or go out and have smoke breaks and like all these other things that are so heavily, if not influenced, they're just normalized by who you hang out with. And what you're doing, well, right? If you hang out with a bunch and watch basketball on Saturdays and Sundays yeah. and have all sorts of snacks, smoke cigarettes or drink, not good for the overall. Sure. That's it. It's, there, there's definitely this element of socialization and we've all heard the buzzword, but like peer pressure, like I would say, you know, it would have been really difficult to attend, you know, a midterm, like end of midterms, you know, dance or whatever right. in you know in college and not have a few drinks back in my day but of course like you could do it of course but mm -hmm. there is definitely that culture around so it's exactly. really kind of refreshing in a way to know that maybe the you know gen z and the younger people are not associated with the same kind of good things like social connection that i associated it with mm. And we hope that, but then, of course, the doubter, the <laughs> skeptic says, so what are you replacing those ha bad habits with? Grant, what else do you have for us today? <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, on a slightly lighter note, uh, we've heard this idea of Blue Monday, and it was actually mm -hmm. this Monday where yes. it's supposed to be the um, uh, most depressing day of the year. Turns out research hasn't proved that there's any one day that's more depressing than any of the others. And if you can believe it, Blue Monday began with a news release in 2005. The now defunct UK channel Sky Travel sent journalists this exciting promotional announcement that with the help of a psychologist, it had calculated the most miserable day of the year. And the team had apparently worked it out with a complex formula developed by UK-based psychologist Cliff Arnold it, with factors like the weather uh, and whether people had given up on their New Year's resolutions, et cetera, all this stuff. And the formula was meant to analyze whether people booked holidays, assuming that people were more likely uh, to buy a ticket to paradise when they were feeling uh, yes. down. Um, now, there's... There's been a little bit of back and forth. Apparently, the psychologist says he doesn't recommend, uh, he doesn't regret doing this because it was a way of kind of bringing psychology out there to the public. But people are very critical of this saying that it actually trivializes uh, depression and seasonal affective disorder, uh, which is a real thing. And there are definitely things you can do to counteract it, like buying an SAD light. We've talked about this mm -hmm. before, uh, depression medication and seeing a doctor if it's really serious. Uh, but just to kind of say like, well, you, it's no wonder that you're depressed because it's Blue Monday. Why don't you Got go it. and buy a travel ticket? That's maybe problematic. Yeah, it's interesting, mm. right? Because we all kind of want to be in the same space. I think we really crave that, to know that if we feel oh, bad, so other true. people are feeling bad too because it's January, because of everything else, whatever. But 
Um, you're right. I, I think that this angle is really, really important, Grant, that we're not just saying, oh, who cares? We're all sad. It's January, right? And minimizing people's experiences, um, people's very real health conditions and uh, challenges that they go through certain yeah. times of the year by just saying <laughs> hashtag Blue Monday on social media, you know? But could yeah. we agree that when the bills come in, when it's January and people can't stand in this part of the world anyway. I'm not going to speak for Australia or other places in the world that are, are opposite. But there are, is some argument to say that this time of the year with so many things, it, it, we may find more mm. dissatisfaction, unhappiness. And, and I yeah. agree. You don't want to liken that to you know mental health challenges that are out there. Uh, but I also don't want to say... Well, someone doesn't feel that bad. They can't feel that bad about their bill or they should have never mm. spent so much money at Christmas. Yeah. It's just you like know, the ultimate high to ultimate low, going from December right. to June. Yeah. yeah. It's in I think so, too. Interesting to Ramya's point. I read a really interesting self-help book once, and they talked about this philosophy called the zero-sum game, which is basically that we don't mind failing or being miserable as long as we're bringing everybody else down with us, yeah. which is a ridiculous philosophy. And I always now try and make sure I catch myself when yep. I'm feeling that way too, because I think that's where jealousy and all kinds of stuff comes from. The misery uh, needs company, yeah. right? In a nutshell. You bet. Thanks, yeah. pal. Thanks. Grant Hardy joining us to talk health headlines. Uh, he will be back a little later on in the show with a presentation for us to, and more discussion. And, of course, you can catch him with Lifestyle Headlines on Friday right here on Kelly and Rumya. Coming up in just a few moments, Margaret Weldon explains what complaining is and why it can be bad for us. We'll get into that talk with her in two minutes, folks. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. You know, sometimes we need Grant to jump in, fill in for us. Sometimes Margaret, you know, we just have a spot that comes open and... Really, fedora's off of them for being able to jump right in there. However, it can get a bit monotonous, can it, Rum? I mean, it, it, it's mm. nice and all what they do, but, you know, how many times can you have a Hardy or a Weldon on the show? Like, like really, I mm. uh, love them and all. However, oh, my goodness, it's... We're going to have to plead it, the fifth here. But yeah. yeah. Oh, you're you're yeah. not gonna weigh in on, on this. Oh, all right. Yeah, just yet. No, I, I know. I, somehow I guess feel I feel like we're gonna get the answers to these problems. Well, it almost sounds like I'm complaining. Complaints. I know, I know, but you know, I never complain. Anyways, that's that, right? <laughs> um, let's move to in the know with Margaret Weldon, where she's gonna explain. Oh, look at that! What complaining is? Why it can be bad? For Don't us. even know. No, um, no, no, no. I didn't just give you an example oh, of complaining. Right. Okay, never, got it. Never. <laughs> Margaret, uh, thanks for coming on. And what a topic! <laughs> did you did you cater this topic specifically to us, or? <laughs> well, actually, no. I I actually found it by accident over just before Christmas, and I said, you know, sometimes with my segments, I like to try to come up with uh, unique things, and sometimes it's it's not always the easiest thing to do. But I just thought this one was just kind of a a neat topic to talk about, and and just kind of a cute topic to talk about. I don't know why. 
Yeah, it's just you me. know why. You didn't think of us specifically, but you know. No, no, actually, oh. I, I really didn't think of you specifically. All right. Well, well, now, maybe maybe more Kelly. Hears, <laughs> whenever she hears complaining now, now we know who she's going to be thinking. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, Margaret, let's get into it because there are some really tactile and interesting uh, tidbits that you're going to share today. There are mm. several forms of complaining. What's the common form? Okay. First of all, though, be, before we get into that, I, I do want to um, credit a couple of people for the segment. Number one, I, I want to credit Jamie Busson for his uh, segment called The Tonic, which is on AMI, or sorry, AMI, AM740 every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern. But you can also uh, hear the podcast if you like. And two, Hannah Kahn, who is one of the guests on there who actually did cover complaining. Um, so yes, complaining, there, there is uh, several types of complaining, but the one most of common complaining is, uh, well, I had a relative who used to like to call it chronic complaining. And this is the person where you're almost better to say, what's not the matter? Mm. You know, if you, if you go to somebody and you say, uh, uh, hello, how are you today? And all they can do is complain, right? Oh, this is happening, and that's wrong, and this is bad, and that's bad, and the next things. But they do this all the time, right? And, right. and that's the chronic complaint. That that's the chronic complainer, or or the or the one form of complaining, and it's what we mm -hmm. call common complaining. So that's 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 that one. Okay, so when uh, sorry, w there have been several studies, Margaret. Done. I'll hold my question, the other one, for a little bit here. Let's start here. There have been several studies about complaining over the years. How did the people who were interviewed for these studies feel about complaining, and how does Hina Khan feel uh, about complaining after, com you know, finishing doing the study? Okay, so some people feel that, uh, you know, there's there's people who complain in general, and let's face it, we all do it, right? We do it for mm -hmm, different reasons. Sure. So there's there's those those people, and there's other people who do it like an art form, and you know, again, this could be the common complainer. Um, and I'm going to give you an example of, a, of an art form of complaining. So let's suppose you and a group of friends get together and you go out for dinner somewhere. And the restaurant's very well decorated, very clean. The staff are very nice. But maybe the food that you get isn't so great. So you start to complain about it. And all of a sudden, everybody else that you're with is complaining about the food, except for maybe one, one or two people, right? It's like it's and contagious. That's right. It's it's almost like Grant was saying in the last segment, misery loves company just at the end there. Right. And <laughs> and yeah. And, and that's kind of like this, you know, misery loves company. So not only then are people complaining about the meal, but they're also places and suddenly their restaurant isn't good. Like suddenly, you know, oh, I remember this when the food was bad here, but nobody does anything about it. Right. They eat the so meal. True. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now, the, the funny thing is maybe you've got two people that really enjoyed their food, one or two people, but they're too afraid to say it because then they know they're not going to be part of the group. Right. So that's an art form of, of complaining. Or they, they almost, you almost feel like, well, geez, what's wrong with me? I actually liked it. What? Mm. <laughs> that's kind of a strange reaction. That's right. That's right. Now, as for Hina Khan, um, she says that sometimes complaining can be a habit forming because it's the easiest thing to do, right? People do it for different reasons. Sometimes they do it because they want to get rid of frustration, or sometimes they do it because they want to be part of a group. And in her mind, she believes that this type of complaining, when they do have it forming, is a waste of time because you're looking for the negative things in people or an event, right? Rather than looking at the positive things. Yep. Uh, so that's her take on complaining. And we all know, it just as with anything else, habits can be very hard to break, let alone identify. So let's talk about the roots of that, the why people complain. Where does it come from? 
Okay, now this is a very good question. Now, um, I do know that some people complain because they are concerned about something in their communities. Like I know Danielle uh, McLaughlin, when she comes on and does her uh, Know Your Rights on Monday Mm -hmm. afternoons at 3.30, she'll say, yes, you have the right to complain, which you do. And some people do it because they're concerned about something. Let's take an example like this. If Let's suppose you've you've had a big snowstorm and your street or your sidewalk hasn't been shoveled, right? And obviously you're going to complain and it might be a concern to you because maybe you've got to get out or maybe you haven't been out in a couple of days or maybe, you know, the the mail person who delivers the mail can't come up. So what you do is you phone your your city, your your municipal department. I know in Toronto, we have like a 311 department where we would phone and, you know, report that this is where I live and this is what's happening. That's a good, like, that's a good kind of complaining, right? Because you're concerned. That's a good kind. There's other people who complain because they want to find a solution to a problem, but they just don't know how to do it. And so sometimes they, they feel that complaining is talking about a problem, talking about, well, what can I do to, to get a solution, to find a solution? And then again, we go back to the chronic complainer, which we've already covered earlier in the show. And that's why people complain. Well, it's interesting, too, because you don't always have to have the solution. I know some people say, if we're going to complain about something, you better have a solution. And no, no, you don't have to if you can isolate something. But there is tact. There's ways of delivering that. And Margaret, what would the complaining process be and how does it work? Okay, so the complaining process works like this. Uh, you get together with with a group of people again. You start to complain about one thing, all of a sudden everybody else starts to complain about one thing and then maybe it goes on to other topics or other other uh, other needs. Now, the problem with this is is that some people like you may have one or two people that have just joined the group for the first time and maybe they've had good things going on in their lives or they've had good things going on. It doesn't even need to even be new people, just somebody that's maybe had something good. You know, like we've had mm-hmm. we've got this TV show going, right? That's a really good that's that's a really good uh, uh, situation, right? Colleen company mm-hmm. being on TV. But you might have somebody else who says, well, I can't find a job. And you might have someone else says, well, I had a job, but I lost mine because the boss didn't like what I was doing. And suddenly you get into a whole bunch of negative situations. And then the person who's had something good in their lives feel bad because they've had something good and somebody else has not. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, and what you do is you start to look at the negative forms of life or the negative experiences mm. like oh my goodness you know or feel guilty I, you know. for your success i guess exactly yes and, and it's like oh my goodness you know i'm on the kelly and company show or i have a job but maybe i better not say anything about it because somebody else doesn't have a job so maybe it's not a good thing to say it usually is easier to get on the bandwagon right than than if that's complaining that's what it is but i am curious because sometimes complaining feels very cathartic and this is a first-hand experience for me you know um if you're having a bad day or if you're just having so much issues trying to find the solution to a problem and you could just express yourself and say oh this is ridiculous i hate it it feels good and it feels cathartic but what are some of the benefits of not complaining, of not going down that road? Well, some of the benefits of not complaining are, number one, you're going to enjoy your time a little bit better. You're going to enjoy your day a little bit better. You're going to look at the positive events. And if you're somebody that's got something good happening for you, you've got, you know, you can enjoy telling the other person about your issues and about, you know, how you solved a problem um, or about how, you know, what, what you're doing and, and how it's benefiting you, Right. You know, think about it. Do, you know, if, if you've gone out and spent time with somebody, would you rather have spent time with them and then and then have them complain? Or is it better right. to get together and have and, and, and there have is a way laugh? that you got to learn how to do it in, in that way with decorum and so on. Right. You really do, yeah. don't you? 
Yes. And, and the good way to deal with that is if somebody is complaining and maybe you don't want to hear them complain, you, you could say now, because somebody might be complaining to find some help with an issue or to vent, like Ramya was just saying. So you could say to them, well, would you like some help with this issue? Would you Are you looking for a solution? Mm. Now, most people, when you ask that question, are going to be taken aback, right? And some people are going to say, you know what? Yeah, maybe I would. And right. then you you get you give the solution and you move on. Other people are just going to go, well, no. I'm just, you know, I'm just saying, mm-hmm. and then in that yeah. way, you can move on to a different subject, right? And, and, and get onto a different subject. And then that way you and the person that you're with are still good. You're still friends, right? <laughs> you know, and uh, then, then you wind up enjoying the day a little bit better. Yeah. There, there are too many incidences and, and it is a, certainly something you have to navigate because sometimes you can end up with someone just feeling, you just never, ever understand what I'm trying to say, or you never have sympathy for the way I feel about them. You're always calling it. So I, there's definitely got to be that way because you don't want to take someone's complaint, throw it out the window because basically send the message. I'm just tired of hearing from you. Mm-hmm. So if you're with someone who's complaining and you don't like that particular complaint, Margaret, how the heck do you get out of that one? Well, you could just change the subject. You could just say, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, or that's too bad, or, you know, or just not say anything at all and move it on, move on to the next thing, right? I, yep. You know, it's right. like somebody says, well, well, I didn't like the food today. Okay, well, maybe you didn't like the food, but, you know, what about this or that? And, and you just move on to a different topic. Mm. Maybe it'll be better tomorrow. Uh, did she talk about the reaction <laughs> that people would have to that response to complaining? Well, again, it, it depends. Um, and this is something that, yes, you have to be very careful about that, right? Because again, it, you don't know why somebody's complaining, right? So it, again, it's it's where you get back to, uh, well, you know, would you like some help or, or would you like, you know, not like some help? Or if you know that somebody's just complaining to complain, it's just the tactful way to move on to something sure. else. So, right? kind so you of, acknowledge them right. and move it on, you know? Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, if people are complaining, like we talked about this example, because they're looking for ways to solve a problem and they're trying to simply talk things out, what can we do there? Well, you could offer them some solutions. You know, again, you could go back to, well, you know, I had a similar situation happen and this is what I tried. Or um, you could say, have, have you tried contacting this person or have you tried it this way or have you tried it that way? And it's a good way to determine whether somebody really does want to solve a problem or if somebody's complaining just because it's the best thing to do for them, like it's the easiest way for them, right? You know, let's face it, sometimes the, the, the easiest way, even though you know you're not going to get something, so, is to just complain about it, mm. right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and and I think it's the hardest thing in the world to contend with and not lose faith or tune out that person that that's what they do. Complain, complain. As soon as you come up with a potential solution, they move back to a complaint or, yeah, but, and and they don't want to entertain that. Margaret, where can people go to learn more about complaining or uh, talk to uh, peak performance coach uh, Hina Khan? Okay, so uh, you can visit Hina Khan's website at h. I-N-A dot K-H, or sorry, H-I-N-A-K-H-A-N dot C-A. So that's hennacon dot C-A. And uh, a peak performance coach, by the way, is somebody that helps you look at the barriers in your life and try to break them down, tries to give you some suggestions and solutions for breaking them down. And she works with people either one-on-one or in group workshops. But I can tell you her website is very, very um, accessible. Okay. 
-hmm. Yeah, she's do nice, nice. doing a lot of work with women, uh, especially women in corporate, women in entrepreneurship, like all these different wonderful uh, ways to get women uh, out there and making some good money. Thank you so much, Margaret. <laughs> Have a great rest of the show, guys. <laughs> Bye. Thanks. Margaret Weldon on In The Know, and you can uh, check out this segment every other Wednesday. Today we're tackling complaining. Productive. And we appreciate you uh, being with us to listen to that segment on the Hardy and Weldon show. Well, that's, I'm not complaining. They're just on here a lot. <laughs> the new Farms, Jeff <laughs> Exactly, that's right. We used to always say that about Jeff Ryman. The Ryman Radio and Television Networks. Go, Jeffy, go. We'll step aside for just a moment. When we return, Bill Shackleton's here. First edition of the week. We call it The Buzz. We'll see what he's got gathered for us, and we'll talk more after this. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv and AMI-audio. You know, it's wonderful to have you listening in, watching us, wherever you are around the world, checking things out here at Kelly and Ramya. Thanks a lot for whatever time you can share checking the podcast out, or listening to the live show, or one of the repeats. Always wonderful. Rumya's at the uh, studio in Toronto. I'm at the home studio in London, Ontario, and we're getting through our processes. We have changed quite a bit, Rumya, and in the time that we were doing rehearsals, we had to learn a bit of our own processes, or put them more into play, because we'd been talking about uh, streamlining everything we do so that we can include all those that now would be included in, in executing a daily television slash audio show. I think we're getting there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's so wonderful to um, keep talking to our team, keep figuring out all the different elements that go into the TV show. Of course, still lots of love to audio, but um, there are a, a bunch of different things that get added on visually uh, to the show, and we're also still keeping posted on how we can make that experience seamless for our Blind Low Vision uh, listeners and viewers. Yeah, and particularly, folks, when it comes to the audio side, we want to make sure those who have been with the show for two years, whatever it might be, anytime, that it feels the same. Whether you're checking us out via AMI Audio, the podcast, and those are people who are checking us out on the TV side, everyone feels we're getting the same info and really just riding along and enjoying it. Bill Shackleton joins us. We call the segment The Buzz. Billy, welcome back to the show. And uh, even yourself, Bill, we're, we're, we're sending messages to you. Hey, Bill, do <coughs> you think you could do this a little earlier? Hey, Bill, uh, things settling in yeah. for you? Settling in? Um, the, the, I guess the, one of the biggest changes for me is that sending your files in earlier and mm -hmm, having to mm. get all dressed for the show. And Aww. it's just a, a different type of, well... I don't mind. It's just a different way of doing things. <clears throat> now, when you used to come yeah. into the office, Billy, for, you know, meetings or pizza lunches or whatever the case may be, <laughs> did you like those opportunities to get dressed up? Didn't mind them. I can okay. do without or do them. I, they, they didn't bother me one iota. Yeah, well, you're from that era of, of that, right? Like, your, I'm sure your father, I know I learned a lot about, well, I mean, I remember my dad just putting a, a suit on just to go downtown once in a while. And <laughs> wow. where are you going, dad? You got an appointment? 
No. And he was just going to go do some shopping and run his mouth at places with people and carry on. He just liked to do that. And that was something that as a kid uh, I was kind of brought up with. And and, and I think that's one of the, the fun, like the most fun things to do uh, if you have that resource and, and enjoy that kind of thing. But after a pandemic, Ramya... Yeah, I was going to say, know, my mom did her absolute <laughs> best to, to, to do the same, you know, dress your best and look your best and whatever. And I it, I have quite literally the opposite reaction of your dad and Billy. It's like any excuse to continue wearing sweats out, I will take it. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Yeah, I, I've always I've always enjoyed it. Um, and, and it's funny, you know, and I always joke about, you know, wanting to find the right things, the things that fit. I mean, years ago, I didn't worry about as much. It's comfortable. I'm not worried about right. it. But it's, it's, it is nice when, oh, gee, that's a nice coat. Uh, uh, thank you. You know, you kind of like that. Bill, where are we starting today, sir? going to do this first one is <clears throat> called new studies suggest human brains need more interaction from the Canadian press. So basically this has to do with zoom fatigue. So a study out of Montreal, they wanted to study the relationship between communicating verbally and communicating with um, a platform. So they, what they found was they took um, 62 mother child partnerships and what they found was that of course and some of the stuff we already know but what they found was that um th there was more th th there was basically nine links that was created when you uh, converted when you communicated verbally as opposed to one when you communicated with a over a platform basically meaning that um there was there was more uh, basically there was there was a lot of links that that you would miss mm. so you, your mm. brain was mm. is more connected when you for you a know, real com interaction communicate verb yes like an for, in person or did they count right. like phones and stuff too or they're talking in or person email. versus virtual well they yeah. just talked about zoom okay Okay. They talk right. about because zoom. I I know we get into this feeling that some people just love emailing or texting. I don't have to talk Me. to them. I don't have to be caught up in I that do. and delay. But what does it do when it comes to a study like this to that way of communicating with people when you have to talk to them, when you have to do a meeting, when you have to do a presentation? Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't sure that this study would think about that versus the in-person versus on Zoom. I mean, for a lot of people, they can see so I'm sure in-person makes that much more of a difference, but I'm certainly sure for a lot of us, too, we're realizing that, yeah, I'm fine hearing a voice over Zoom, but as you do it long enough, you start saying, gee, Fatigue. I feel funny. Yeah. I don't feel there, the same as I, I'm not sure I can communicate. Go ahead, Bill. There is um, a definitely, um, you know, links that you miss when you, like, gestures that you, that, that your coworkers may or may not pick up. Mm-hmm. And the, the article actually, as far as I'm concerned, is is not, I mean, it didn't go, what do we do if we're working from home more and we're using Zoom? I mean, how much, I mean, it. I think it behooves us as workers to become, is to be more honest because if you need help, no, no one can pick that up. 
it, it may be very difficult for your boss or someone else you, to yeah. understand. You have to be you know, more cumulative about yeah, it. that's right. And this is all kinds of stuff, right? Like, for example, in Zoom, during a meeting, you can use reactions. You can put your hand yeah. up, like, yep. virtually. Um, and you can communicate in the chat. You can have your video on, your video off. You can do virtual backgrounds. You can, you know, there's just so much going on that you definitely do miss because we're all in our own homes. There's so much separation between us uh, because of environment and all that stuff. But also timing. Like sometimes you can be on a meeting that was supposed to be 15 minutes that goes on an hour, but you may not uh, factor in Zoom fatigue in those circumstances, yeah. right? I wonder if it's different if that meeting would go on an hour necessarily in it person. It could, but because an in meetings do, but a one-hour in-person meeting to? feels very different than a one-hour Zoom meeting that went 45 minutes over time. Do you well, guys I, use in meetings the Zoom tools for accessibility reasons? Do we use them a lot? Do we, did you find over the period of time less people were using it and more speaking out? I mean, you know, in a meeting in person, you, you, there's ways to let people know you have a question, whether yep. you move your hand up or something. But when it comes to using the Zoom stuff, are most people using it or do they kind of just bust in now? I, 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 I found said, more busting in now. Yeah, I just said, Dave, I uh, got a question and because it's... <laughs> yeah. You know, to to navigate around an app and find the raise exactly. your hand thing, mm -hmm. and, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, you know, for some yeah. of us, it's more, like, it's more to do. It's more work. It's more, um, I can't pay attention because I'm trying to pay attention to the chat thing yeah. and screen readers going That's in my ear. It. But for other people, it, I think, has the complete opposite effect where they're thinking, hey, I have something to interact with. I can actually, you know, do this and do that, which is making me feel better about this meeting and more involved than just sitting there staring at a screen. Yeah, because you're always going to get those who feel more comfortable one way or the other. Some people, yeah. I don't trust people unless I'm in the same room with them. I feel uncomfortable. Other people are more brave to speak up, to share, Bill. Yeah. Yeah, and I just wonder, though, where, where do we go? I mean, do we need more interaction? Do we need to come into the office for meetings, or can we stick with what we've... I mean, when you consider the brain is, you know, is... It's evolutionized over thousands of years, and this technology being relatively new, how is that going to continue to fit in if we need more interaction? Where are we going to get it? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind I, of... I, I'm a big subscriber of variety is the spice of life. Yeah. And that's, I think, the way we adapt to any circumstance and be able to appreciate what that technology can give us when it's right places, as well as the need for, for being in person as, instead of just, well, I prefer to be in person, so all my staff will be, or I don't right. want to ever come in there, so we're all going to do it on Zoom, like it or not. Yeah, clearly mm. we're understanding the benefits of um, having remote meetings and being able to give people that opportunity and the capability of that, but... Uh, totally valid questions to be like, but how about the human interaction? And yeah, how often yeah. are we actually getting together in person for that culture? Sir, you want to bring us your next item? Yeah, we definitely do. Documentary, documentary um, by two Quebec filmmakers explores the horror of cyber violence against women. This is a documentary that is going to be premiering on Friday in Toronto, and it basically is... It's profiles for women who were bullied and on you know on YouTube and Twitter. Uh, two, three of the women, no, two of the women were politicians. One woman was a YouTuber, and one woman was a school teacher from Quebec. 
and the documentary just exposes how they were they tried to get help and they didn't know where to go um basically it was the the, the police we are according to this documentary we are very inept in dealing with um with misogyny in the digital age the the police um apparently don't know how to deal with it they don't know how to deal with cyberbullying so when you when you th when you think of all these women or men for that matter that are being bullied around the world there's very few according to the doc resources they can they can go to who who can they go to help so the documentary exposes how we need to carry on this conversation about how to help these people mm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, these um, circumstances don't really get better. Like, I don't think there's been any year where we've talked about bullying, whether it be cyberbullying or anything else, and say, oh, you know what? Numbers have gone down for bullying. I don't think we've ever had that conversation. It just, no. um, what's, it, what's the word? Displaces to another form, another uh, approach, another platform. And we hear about it in different ways. But these are problems that unfortunately I don't think will ever go away. Well, and, and the hard part about the problems is our own biases, our own, oh, well, if they're out there playing on YouTube, they're going to get hassled. They just mm -hmm. got to live. It's kind of like looking at journalists or people, well, of course, people are going to call them out on the things they say. And one thing to say, hey, I'm not sure that's correct. I think maybe you might want to look at it this way. It's another thing to call people names, another thing to threaten them and to say, if you write stuff like that again, we're going to do something. That's the bullying. That's the nasty stuff that we, we just, there's no room for. But I think, unfortunately, there are times we'll look at the characters that you mentioned, Bill, the, the ladies that we follow in this, and, you know, we each gain our own, well, that's just terrible that happened to her. Well, unfortunately, if you mess around with people there, you're going to get people commenting. I, I, I think that's some of our worst poison that we sometimes let ourselves get into is, is making those assessments and letting that cloud judgment of, no, it's black and white. Don't bother people. Don't bully them. Mm. There was some um, a couple of uh, recommendations that came out of there, and basically over thirty thousand signatures were sent to the Quebec legislature, and the police uh, apparently need more training on how to deal with it, how to deal with yes, this for sure. Yep. And social media platforms have to be more responsible for the content that they, you know, put on on their on their platforms. Yeah. People need to be taught, not, well, I can't even say taught because we do know right from wrong in most cases, but definitely the police, they need that support. They, they're they not experts on it. It changes. But also, again, they're just like us, subjected to biases, and we really do need to, to check ourselves at the door with a lot of that stuff. Fantastic, yeah. Billy. Uh, great lineup of things to talk about today. We will continue our conversation with you tomorrow on the program. Thanks, man. Indeed. Thanks. We do it. Wednesday through Friday here on Kelly and Rumya, we get a chance to visit with Bill Shackleton. We talk about some of the things going on out there. We still have another hour ahead, folks, of the program. There's been some new changes out there to Ontario healthcare delivery, specifically with regard to virtual care and accessibility. Registered nurse Leslie Depot will be joining us to explain. Plus, recently the Atlantic Provinces Special Education Authority made the uh, decision to end their short-term uh 
curriculum. Uh, we're going to get some words from Grant Hardy when he returns to the show to share his thoughts about it. Up next, we chat with Tracy Burton, founder of Canadians Care, about the incredible work she is doing to raise money for medical supplies to help the people of the Ukraine. Ahead in hour two. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.